I'll never forget the time driving back from Houston to Stillwater, Oklahoma at the end of a mission trip. I was a college student at Oklahoma State, and we left Houston in the mid-afternoon to drive all the way back to to Stillwater. It's a long trip, and I remember taking turns driving, and I got in the driver's seat about midnight. I had a van full of college students. I was a college student myself, and my goal was to get them home safely. And it was difficult. We'd had a long week at the mission trip. It was late at night, but I had Savannah in the passenger seat to make sure that we got there safely. I remember about 2 a.m. looking over, and Savannah was fast asleep. At that point, I knew this is all on me. Of course, we made it home safely, though it wasn't the easiest trip I've ever taken. We did all the post-mission trip things of unloading the vans, of of getting them in the right spot. I remember finally getting to bed around 4 a.m. I remember going to bed, uh, going to sleep very peacefully, only to be woken up some time later in a violent manner. Someone had gone around to the backside of my house there in Sawyer and was banging on the windows to wake me up. I woke with a start uh, to look at my phone and see that I had over 30 missed calls and someone was ringing the doorbell and it was Savannah, very concerned why I was still asleep at 4 p.m. 12 hours later. Uh, Needless to say, I was a pretty heavy sleeper, especially after a long week. You know, I go forward a few years, and when we had Stephen, uh, our firstborn, uh, your sleep changes when you have a baby. You know, you, you start to sleep a little lighter because when you hear that sound of the cry of a newborn, uh, you get up and you go help out. You go get the child uh, to help them get back to sleep. Uh, we've had three kids now, and our kids have all been great sleepers. In fact, I have never once heard them cry in the middle of the night. They, they just do not wake up. Um, it could also be the, the earplugs that I sleep with, but they sleep great. It, isn't it great to know that as disciples of Christ, that we have a Father in heaven who hears our cries, that no matter what's going on, He hears when we cry out to Him. Welcome to Crosspoint. I'm so glad that you're here to join us for worship today. I, my name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here, and we started a brand new series last week called Back to Bible School. And I hope that you, if you haven't seen that one yet, go check that out. Go listen. We also have a podcast of our, of our sermons, so you can check that out so you can, you can follow along with us as we go back to Bible school. I don't know what you were raised with, whether you called it Sunday school or Bible school or, or Sunday morning class. Uh, or whatever, but uh, it's a great moment growing up in a church to learn the foundational stories of the Bible, uh, to learn those stories that that we get to know who our God is. And so last week we started with the story of Adam and Eve, and today we're going to go forward to the story of Noah's Ark. And so I thought, what better place to go than go out to the lake? go out to a body of water to think about what it might have been like to to be on that ark. What was it really like to experience rain for 40 days and 40 nights? You know, this is a story that we love to teach to our kids. We love to teach it for a few reasons, but in part because it's fun, it's fun to play Noah's Ark, isn't it? You get, uh, you get your little boat, you get the animals, um, and kids love to play with it. I, rem- I remember, especially my little brother, this was his favorite story. And I think at one point, he had maybe three or four Noah's Ark sets because he loved the story of Noah's Ark. 
And so this is how we tend to tell the story to our kids. We say that God looked on the earth and he realized that people had sinned. And so God said, I'm gonna start over. And so I'm gonna flood the earth. Everyone will be wiped away except for Noah's family. And we're also gonna put animals on the ark two by two. And we, we have songs about this, we talk about this, and this is how we teach the story to kids. And there's some detail in there that I want you to go back and read the story, but one of those details was not accurate. One of those details we teach, but it isn't actually in the story. And I'll give you a hint, it's with the two by two. So go back and check that out. Like last week, I wanna go back and revisit this story as an adult. See, you know, the Bible isn't given to us um, broken up in kids' stories and adult stories, but rather these are God's stories. These are stories that teach us about who God is. If you remember last week in the story of Adam and Eve, we talked about what it means to pursue ourselves rather than pursuing God. See, that's the story of Adam and Eve. Is they're pursuing these prideful things. They want to be like God. And God's call is that uh, you are not to pursue yourself, you're to pursue me. And we realize when we think about it that we do the same thing today. No, we're not in the garden. We're not, uh, pers- we're not eating from a tree necessarily, but we do the same thing. We pursue ourselves and try to glorify ourselves rather than our God. Because again, this story, these are, these are God's stories given to us for our formation. See, there's a reason that this story is in scripture. See, the Bible is powerful. The Bible is universal. And the Bible gives us things. It reads us and pierces our hearts. It reads us as much as we read it. So again, we are gonna go to this text today and we're going to read it for formation. We're not reading just for information, not knowing exactly just what happened, but we're reading it to say, what are we called to be like? As a follower of his, what does he call us to be like? So this is where the story starts in Genesis chapter six, starting in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. I want you to remember that word violence. We're gonna come back to that a little bit later. Chapter seven, verse 11, the story continues. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. What you see here, when we think about this word violence, is we see that this is a violent world that Noah is living in. There's violence in the storm, there's violence in the waves. But what you see, when you, when you think of that word violence, a lot of times we might think about violence in movies or violence in video games uh, or physical acts of violence. But I think one of the ways that we should read this story is that this is a disruption of how God intended life to be. That people are not living according to his words, they're living according to what they want. Again, this is like Adam and Eve's story. They, this is prideful pursuits. There is no peace because people are not finding their peace in God. 
And so you have this world that's filled with violence. And so God says, if that's what you want, I will fill the world with water. See, this water that he sends on is a violent water. He fills the world with exactly what they had already filled the world with. It's violent and it presses against God's people, if not for the ark. See, this motif of water is used all throughout scripture. It's this idea of violence and yet cleansing at the same time. See, you, you may have experienced the same thing through your own baptism. In, in a sense, it is violent. You are going to death. You are putting your very life to death in the waters. But when you, ra- when you are raised up, it is in the cleansing power of Jesus. So you put your life to death and are raised in Christ Jesus. Water has that quality to, yes, be violent, but also to, to cleanse you. I mean, remember back when you learned about the Grand Canyon? Uh, maybe some of you have been there and you've seen just that huge expanse. And how was it formed? How was it made? It was made by water. See, thousands of years of the water just running through it has carved out this deep, deep canyon. Water has destructive powers. Uh, maybe also you've been to the beach. And I remember one time being at the beach and, you know, I really like to go into the waves and just to feel that the peaceful waves coming up around me and you kind of can bob in the water, you know. Um, at the beach, there's all kinds of signs. There's all kinds of, you know, low tide and high tide and watch out for this and be careful of that. And I rarely pay that close attention to those. But I remember one time being in the beach, being at the beach, being in the waves, letting the water just be around me, kind of bobbing up and down with it when the, the waves picked up. It was one of those times that the sign told me about and I remember having, it was, it was kind of fun, right? It was, the waves were getting stronger and bigger. Only one time, the, the waves got so big that it picked me up off my feet and slammed me down into the sand. So much so that the, the air went out of my lungs and I wasn't sure for a second where I was. Was I pointing towards the beach or away? Where was I? I remember staggering back up to the beach to not go into the water anymore that day because water can be destructive, It can be violent, just like the world that Noah finds himself in. If you take a step back from this story, if you look at it uh, from a bird's eye view, what you see here is that there is a world full of violence. There's, There's water pressing in. And yet in the midst of that, you have a God who remembers his people, who hears his people and their cries, and he delivers them from it. It reminds me of the story of Exodus, In Exodus, you have God's people, the Israelites, that have been in slavery for hundreds of years in in Egypt. And they cry out to God, and at the beginning of Exodus is this beautiful story of God hearing their cry. So we have a God who remembers his people and hears his people. And so through Moses, God delivers them. And through the 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh relents and he lets God's people go. And they, they make their way out of Egypt. And there is much celebration as they, as they exodus from Egypt, only to come up to the Red Sea. And, the, and they look back and they see Pharaoh's army. And this is how the story goes in Exodus chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And I love Moses' response. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And church, that promise is true for you today as well. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. See, standing firm and standing still is an act of faith. It's an act of faith to stand there and say, I am going to be still and at peace with my God, knowing that he is the one that fights for me. What you see here, again, when you take a bird's eye view of this story, is you see this massive army, an incredible representation of violence coming after God's people. And on the other side, you see the Red Sea, this body of water that they cannot pass. God's people are stuck, but we have a God who remembers, a God who hears his people and who delivers his people out of the middle of this violent situation. So too, we find the same thing in the New Testament. In Mark chapter four, it says this, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious or violent squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. We have a God, we have a savior who hears the cry of his people and he delivers them. This is who our God is. This is who our God has always been. He remembers you. He hears your cry and he will deliver you. We see this consistent theme all throughout scripture. We see it beginning in a sometimes violent world, but we see a God who is our deliverer, a God who provides us shelter, a God who is our very refuge. He is faithful and he hears the voice of his people. The story starts back in Genesis chapter nine with with the man named Noah. And I think what Genesis wants from us is it wants us to consider how we could be more like Noah. We wanna be those kinds of people. This is how it describes Noah in Genesis chapter six. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. See, that description, walked faithfully with God, it isn't used that often in scripture. This is, the per- this is a person who is not like Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve had the chance to walk faithfully with God every single day. They were in a perfect garden and they got to walk with him, but they ruined that beauty through their own pride. Noah doesn't have the luxury of a garden. He doesn't have the luxury of a perfect place, but rather he lives in what the Bible describes as a violent, chaotic world. The world was filled with violence, and yet it still says that he walked faithfully with God. You know, if there could be one thing said about me when I'm gone, wouldn't that be what you would want it to say? This person, Cale, 
walked faithfully with God. Of all the things you could say, what more would you want people to remember you by? Someone who walked faithfully with God. We find a man in Noah that is rooted and anchored in his relationship with God. In the following verses, God will ask great things of Noah. He will ask big things, things that other people will think are crazy. He'll ask him to build an ark, even though he doesn't live next to a body of water, even though it isn't raining. And yet Noah does it. Every time Noah is asked to do something, this is what the text reads. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah is faithful, he's obedient, and he listens to the voice of God even among the noise and violence of his day. In the New Testament, Jesus will ask big and great things of you and I as well. Things that if you weren't a Christ follower would sound crazy to other people. He'll ask things like, turn the other cheek. When someone does something to you, don't try to get even. Don't try to uh, hurt them as they hurt you, but turn the other cheek. He, he will ask you to pray for your enemies. Don't try to beat them. Don't try to win. Don't try to defeat them, but rather pray for them. Jesus will call you to love your neighbor as yourself. Just as you try to gain things for your own self, just as you try to love yourself, love those around you as well. See, if, it's, if it wasn't for a faith in Jesus, none of this would make sense. So I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that we find ourselves in a Noah-type situation. The world around us can be violent. The peace can be disrupted when we don't follow the ways of God. It can be loud, it can be scary, and it can press in on all sides. But there is a voice that calls to us among this. There is a God that calls us out of this and calls us to follow him, to walk with him faithfully, and to live counter-culturally. This is a God who provides us with this beautiful word. He provides us with refuge. In our walk with God, we find shelter in the storm. We find refuge and we find peace. So think back to why we teach the story to children. It's not just about the animals. It's about this man who walks faithfully with God and about our call to do the same even when it's hard, even when it's difficult to do. See, this is a great story to teach the children because this is how we want to raise our children. We want to raise them to come up to the difficult things that life will give them and yet to follow God faithfully through it no matter what. You know, this week we had some rain and for the most part it was a peaceful kind of rain, the kind of rain that I love to get my kids out in, uh, to go for a walk or to find the puddles to jump in, but it's especially in the hot days of summer to uh, to bring some coolness um, and some fun. And so we, we got our kids out there with that. But sometimes you come upon rain that can be scary. Whether you're, you're driving down the highway and you drive into a storm, uh, so much so that you have to you know, decrease your speed or maybe even pull over to the side of the road. Or maybe like me, you grew up in a place that has tornadoes often. And so yeah, yeah rain comes, but that's not the kind of rain you want to be out in. See, the world is going to give us things and depending on our relationship with God, we're going, to, we're going to meet it as either a pleasant rain or a violent and scary rain. See, the Bible never promises us that these things are going to go away. 
It never promises us that there won't be difficulty, that there may, not even, be, there may even be suffering in our lives. But what God says is, be still. I am with you. So much so that when we face those things, it's like facing a pleasant rain. It gives us the peace that Paul describes in Philippians as the peace that passes all understanding. Because we can, when we can have that peace, even when life throws us difficult things, for those on the outside, it doesn't make sense. How can you have this peace in these difficult or, or trying times? Only because of who our God is. So you may be asking yourself today, church, how? How can I do this? How can I live this? And it's just like any other relationship, church. We lean into our relationship with Jesus. We pursue him with everything that we are. You know, when there's a relationship that you care about, you pour time and effort into it. If it's a relationship that means something to you, that's what you do. You give it time. You give it your love and care. So we do the same thing with Jesus. Unfortunately, it may look like to the outside world right now that we care more about other things. I'm not saying that you do, but church, sometimes we need to turn off these other voices and we need to lean into God. You know, we, we might should spend more time with, with our God than we do with our news source or our social media or things like this. So I want you to practice something with me this week. Before you open up your phone and go to uh, your social media preference or maybe open up the news, whatever, I want you to first go to your Bible. I want you to first go and read even just one verse. Maybe read a chapter, but go, before I go out into the world, I'm going to go to my God. Or maybe if, if you don't want to go and open up the word before that, maybe stop and say a prayer. Because again, the difference in how we meet the world is going to be in, in how we are anchored in our relationship in God. So my call is not to bury our heads in the sand. It's not to hide from the world, but to change how we engage with it. For some of us, we need to engage less. But for most of us, what we need to do is come from a place being anchored in our relationship with Christ Jesus. So before you go out into the world, start with going to God. This is why starting your day with some kind of quiet time is so important. You're going to meet the world. You're going to go out into the world, but you need to do it from a place of strength with Christ Jesus. And so start there, church. There are apps that will help you do this. There are uh, Bible reading plans like we have done as a church this year. Regardless of what you use, go to God before you go to the world. Because I promise you, the world is going to bring you difficulties. The storms are not going to go away. The storm you are in today, it will pass, but another one is behind it. How are you going to meet that? We wanna meet it from the shelter and safety of our relationship with God. Church, I want you to read something with me this week. I wanna read this blessing to you from Psalm 31 today. And I want it to be something that you go back to this week because I think it describes well everything that we've been talking about today. This is how Psalm 31 reads. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. 
Keep me free from the trap that is set before me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Church, that is my prayer for you this week, that as you meet the world, that you will know that you have a fortress in our God, that he is your strength, your refuge from the world. In God, you will find all the peace that you're looking for. Anchor your life in him and the storms won't go away, but they will be less in your life because you'll know the promises that you have in him. Church, as we close today, let me offer this prayer of blessing over you. Father God, I am thankful for who you are, a God who who remembers his promises to us, a God who hears our cries and delivers us through them. Thank you for being our deliverer, our strong fortress, our refuge. Father, in you we find peace. I know that this week there are going to be challenges that arise. God, help us to anchor our lives in you. And knowing that in you, we can go through any challenge that life brings us. And God, help our church to know that this is why you have created the body, that we are here to walk with one another through these challenges, that we are here to bear with one another, no matter what life brings at us. Father, again, thank you for being our deliverer, our fortress, our refuge, and our peace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.